Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. Hey, Christian classics. Uh, This is the theme, right? It's about us addressing and highlighting things that we assume people know about being a Christian and walking with Jesus. That's what this whole theme's about. Is that we want to address the things that we just assume people know. Like we can go through stuff and we just like, oh, we don't really need to teach on that. People know about that already. We don't really need to speak about that thing because that's like so foundational. Surely we don't need to go into that, right? But these are the things actually that we always need to come back to. These are the things that we always need to bring back to the surface and go, actually, this is the main thing. Actually, this is the only thing, or this is the thing that we need to, uh, uh, that either undergirds our faith, is foundational to our faith. And so I I love this this theme that we're in. And uh, it it really highlights for me probably one of the, one of the classics, I guess, about Christianity that we all go through, and is that we all go through stuff. Like, believe it or not, this is something that, and, and, and if I could take it a step further tonight, where you, the, the classic thing about Christianity or, or Christians is that they feel like or we feel like we're the only one going through that stuff. Am I right? Like, it's like, oh man, here I am again facing this thing, but it's just me solo. No one here could possibly know what I'm going through right now. It's just me against the world, right? And yet the person next to you is thinking the exact same thing about the, the, the thing that they're going through. Or the person who's sitting down the road from you right now went through that thing just a year ago and they came out the other side of it. But you don't know because we, as Christians, some, sometimes we just keep it to ourselves. And so tonight, um, I, I want to, I guess, appeal to that, that issue or that need that we have and let you know that there is a higher testimony that we can appeal to. That you're not the only one who goes through stuff. And, and, and you're not alone when you go through stuff. And when we do face challenges or when we do uh, make it, I guess not even when we just go through stuff like stuff happens to us, but even when we make choices within our own lives to address dysfunction or to make a, to draw a line in the sand that says, you know what, me and as for me and my house or from this point on, this will go no further. So when we make those declarations within ourselves, there is a higher testimony that we can appeal to. Tonight, I want to, I guess, speak about the blood of Jesus Christ, which is that higher testimony. When we face trials, we can decide to appeal to the testimony of the blood of Jesus. So the title of my message tonight is, What's With the Blood? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his blood. By the authority given by his blood, God, I arrest both the spiritual and the physical environment right now. And I take authority in Jesus' name. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would confirm this word with demonstrations of your power. Open ears, open eyes, and silence the voice of the enemy right now by the blood of Jesus. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you protect this word and you propel it into the hearts of everyone listening. I plead the blood of Jesus over this message, and I say, set us free tonight that we might see Jesus clearly. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, I I love church, right? I've been in church since I was a fetus. Um, I'm a big fan of church. Like, I'm a church guy. Like, church is my jam. Like, I've been in more church services than you've had coffees. I've been in more conferences than you've had coffees. Like, I, I, I love church. 
if I could be in church, I'd be in church. I am in church. I work in church. I like, I love church, right? But can we all agree that church is weird? Right? Like, let's just take tonight, for example. You walked in and people were smiling. That's weird enough as it is. Like, you walk in the city and you make eye contact with someone. If you smile, all of a sudden, they, their body language shifts. They're just like, why are you smiling at me? What are you going to do? Like, what's going on? Someone around the corner? Like, people are on edge. Okay, let's, let's follow this through, right? You walked in today, someone was smiling at you. Probably multiple people were smiling at you. Then, for some reason, you walked through this gauntlet of a, of a number of people ranging from 3 to 30 of people who wanted to shake your hands and congratulate you just for being here tonight. Like, you just rocked up and automatically you're a hero. Like, it's like, participation award just went, like, straight in. The, like, you're like, just for being here, you're like, yeah, you're the man. Welcome. Come on. Get in here. You know, and you're just like, okay. Right? Church is weird. We, if you're new here tonight, I'm appealing to you right now. Like, because you, you're, you're looking at this situation, you're just going, that's exactly what I was thinking. And now I'm talking about you like I'm reading your thoughts, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. He's in my head. But, but I get it. Like, like, I didn't get it when I was younger, but I suddenly started realizing that, that if you didn't grow up in this type of an environment, this would be weird. You're standing here during praise and worship, and people are amped. Like, not just like, this is nice music. They're just like, come on! You know, like, and you're just like standing here going, what is going on? And then, and then the music slows down, but no one, no one kind of really slows down because hands go up, people are swaying. Like, it's weird. And if you've been in church for a while, right, you might even have heard someone praying in tongues. Like, that's just straight up the weirdest. Only weirder by one more thing, which I'm going to get to in a second. But speaking in tongues is just weird. Like, you, you're sitting there. Maybe you're just a little bit uncomfortable, but you're starting to get into it. The music slowed down, so you can kind of just get your sway on. And then out of the corner, of your, just in your peripherals, you hear this Someone next is like And you're just like, what? What is going on? This is weird. And then you, then you tune into the lyrics, right? Even one of the songs we sang tonight. And they start singing about the blood. All right, this is just like a, tongues I could maybe deal with it with counseling, but but now we're singing about blood. Like I remember this song. Oh, the blood of Jesus. And people are like, if you were, <laughs> thank you. Single woo. <laughs> no, no, it's too late. You missed it. You missed it. If you walked into hearing that song, right, you could get that in Christianity we like Jesus Christ. Christ Christianity. Okay, I can put that together. But now we're singing about this blood and how we love it and we're swaying. This is weird. But no matter how weird it gets, we cannot escape that our faith is built on blood. Right from the get-go, blood was involved. In fact, pre the get-go, blood was involved. You know, we look in the, if I could take you through a quick snapshot of the Old Testament Adam and Eve uh, uh, are brought into existence by God. He created them with his hands. He breathed life into them. They became living beings. I'm going to jump through this real quick. So if I miss a key theological point, just bear with me, right? Because I'm getting to something. They come on the scene. 
God gives them one command, don't eat this fruit, but everything else pretty much free slather, do what you need to do, and uh, be fruitful, multiply, eat, tend the ground, mind the garden. It's good. Let's walk together in the garden each day. This is their life, right? And then Eve eats the fruit because the servant tells her to eat it. Adam eats the fruit because his wife told him to eat it. And sin enters the world, right? All of a sudden, blood was involved. Because they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, but God gave them a better covering and gave them garments of skin, the Bible says. Fast forward a little bit. They have kids, Cain and Abel. Abel is killed by his brother because he offers a sacrifice unto God with blood. It helped, he, it, the Bible says that it gave, he gave the fat of his, of his flocks. He gave the, the, the best of his lambs. Fast forward again, Noah's on the scene. God's just wiped out the entire planet with a, with a flood, but he saved Noah and his family. And they get off the ark with all the animals. And the first thing Noah does, sacrifice, blood. Fast forward again, a couple of hundred years, and there's Abraham with a, with a promised child called Isaac. This is the child that he'd been believing for. This is the child that had been promised to him by God. And now God says, hey, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. Man, church is weird. <laughs> but, but Abraham agrees because he trusts God's character as being good and goes, okay. And he brings up Isaac to this situation. And instead of having to kill Isaac, God provides a substitute, a ram, just off in the thicket, the Bible tells us. I could go on story after story after story. In Exodus, the, the Israelites... Uh, I mean, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Joseph. Joseph lands everyone in Egypt. Then they're in slavery for 400 years. After that comes Moses. Israelites have been pleading for God. Come on, would you take us out of slavery, God? And he, and he does. He listens and he provides Moses. And, and, and Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, hey, you've got to let my people go. You've got to let God's people go. This is what God said. And Pharaoh's like, nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> He says, nah, like nine, well, he says 10 times, nah. But on the ninth time, God says, hey, I'm going to kill every firstborn thing in Egypt. Man, whether it's human or, or, or cattle or, or anything living, if it's the firstborn, it's going down, except if you have blood on the, on the post of your door. So all of Israel, they kill a lamb. They put its blood over the doorpost. Time and time again, there is blood in our faith. And, and, and if you read the test, it, like me saying it like this, doesn't really give you all the context. Me, what I'm merely trying to paint here is that we have a faith that's built on blood. That's neither here nor there, but that's, this, that's the system that God put in place that we might have um, an understanding of what it actually costs. You see, blood's significant because blood in the Old Testament equals life. Blood equals life. Leviticus Chapter 17, verse 11, puts it like this. Here we go. It's on the screen behind me. There we go. For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Atonement means the satisfaction or the reparation for a wrong by providing payment to those who have been wronged sacrifices did this, right? The sacrifices that were done in the Old Testament, not just the ones that I told you about, but all through the Old Testament, all the way up until Jesus, this was what the Israelites had to do as a payment 
for their wrong, for their sin towards God. This was the only way for a temporary covering for them to have relationship with God. And they had to repeat it over and over again, year after year, week after week, sacrifice after sacrifice, sin after sin. They had to, there had to be blood that was shed. There had to be the replacement or the atonement uh, for, for one life for another. That we might walk free, they had to sacrifice a lamb and there had to be bloodshed. No blood, no life, and therefore there couldn't be a replacement. Then comes the, the New Testament. Jesus is introduced right at the very beginning as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Straight from the get-go. In fact, the Bible takes it one step further in, in, Hebrew, uh, in Revelations. It says, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That means that, that God had set in his heart, God had a plan right from the get-go, before he even set the foundation of the world, that he was going to offer Jesus as a sacrifice to redeem mankind back unto himself. I tell you, that's good news for you and me, because, because before you even knew God, he knew you. The Bible says that, in fact, he knew you as well before the foundation of the world. And so in his mind and in his heart, he has Jesus and he has you. And he chooses to sacrifice Jesus in his heart and in his mind before anything was even set in motion that you and him could have relationship. That's good news. But it required blood. You didn't know God, but he knew you. You didn't have a sense that this is what it would take, but he knew what it would cost and he was willing to pay that price. Jesus then goes on to grow up and live the life that you and I could never possibly live. Sinless, pure, and holy. 100% human and yet at the same time, and this is really key, 100% God. And the reason this is such a significant uh, part of our Christian doctrine, is, it, and it's called the, the, the nature of Christ, is that by being 100% human, Jesus bled like you and me, right? But by being 100% God at the same time, it meant God bled like you and me. Can you, can you imagine that? God bleeds because he made himself in Christ come as a sacrifice for you and I. If life equals blood, then God blood equals God life. God life equals God power. Therefore, God blood equals God power. God's blood is in his life, which is in his blood. So now Jesus lives the life that we couldn't live and goes on and dies the death that you and I should have died. Our sin put us as enemies of God. Even the smallest sin, like if we have to quantify, because that's what we do as, as people, we go, oh, that's a little sin, but that's a big sin. But in God's eyes, it's all just sin, right? So even the smallest, tiniest, minute sin ever against a holy God is worthy of death. And yet, Jesus comes and says, I'll take that. I've got this one, right? He was willing to go to the cross to become that atonement. We needed an atonement for our sins, for our wrong against God. Hebrews 9, verse 11 to 28. I want to read this out to you because it really just paints the picture it's a bit of scripture, so bear with me, but I'm going to talk you through it as we go. Should be on the, there we go, screen behind me, but I'm going to focus right here. Here we go. You ready? When Christ came as the high priest for the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that was not man-made. 
That is to say, not as part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most high place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Come on. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, which is simply to say Christ and we now in Jesus Christ have a new agreement. The old thing is done. Now we have a new thing, all right? A new agreement between us and God through the blood of Jesus. Um, is the, uh, of a new agreement. Uh, I've lost my place. Uh, new agreement. And those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom and set them free from the sins committed under the first agreement or the first covenant. In this case, the will is necessary to prove uh, death of one who made it because the will is in force only while someone, uh, uh, when someone is, has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. So there was blood with the first covenant, and then there's blood in the second covenant. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the Lord to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scrolls and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood both on the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires, this is so key, that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We needed Jesus' blood because it was perfect blood. It was God blood, and through it, we have the forgiveness that we need, that right standing that we can have with God. It was necessary then, as I continue in verse 23, for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with the sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that, um, that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven uh, to offer himself again and again as the high priest used to. I'm just skipping ahead a little bit. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times from the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ has, was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Or in another translation, all people. For he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is the significance of the blood. This is the significance of Jesus' blood in our life. I want to read another script to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This is a great scripture, one that you should memorize, because it really identifies your position now because of his blood. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Because of his blood, we are now righteous. Because of his sacrifice, we stand free. Because of what he did, Jesus took our place and it was his blood, his God blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Your sin, my sin. And I'm just warming up. Jesus died and was persecuted 
his blood, the full God life, the full God power in his blood was then put in heaven on our behalf. He took it there himself and said, God, for these people in 2019, my blood has covered their sin. My blood has taken their sin away. It was this blood that speaks on our behalf. It's this blood that is the testimony that we can appeal to. It is this blood that, that has a higher say than any other thing in all the universe. No blood, no forgiveness. Animal blood, imperfect sacrifice, temporary covering. God blood, perfect sacrifice, eternal redemption. Perfect redemption, complete redemption. Sometimes these things are better understood through visuals. So we have Jesus, we have sin, and we have you and me. We look good. We look real good. <laughs> but that's not really how we actually look. I'm not going to drink that one. But this is actually like our life, right? And there's nothing I can do to separate those elements to make that water clean again. There's, I can't, but Jesus. In fact, Jesus' blood went so far as to take away all sin. It wasn't just your sin. It wasn't just my sin. It wasn't the stuff you've done before. It wasn't the stuff you've even committed before. God's blood, Jesus' blood has covered all sin for all time. In the future, in the present, and in the past, His blood covers all our sin. And it's available to all mankind. Jesus' blood is the overpayment. It was more than we ever needed. It's like saying that, you know, someone owes you 50 bucks, but they give you 10 grand. It's like you owed $50,000 and there's no way you could ever pay that back, but God just drops a mill. It's like, I, I got more than enough. This is the faith. This is what our faith in Christianity rests on. It's on the effectiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ, that this is what takes place in all our lives because of His blood. When we accept the message of the blood, we are accepting that God obtained what God ordained before the creation of the world. When we accept this message for our lives, and this is why the blood is so pivotal for our life, and this is just the start of what the blood does. Look, there's a list. Let me, let me show you what the blood does. Have we got that list? Come on. Through the blood of Jesus, we're cleansed by sin. We have justification available by the blood. Redemption through His blood. Reconciliation through the blood. We have peace through the blood. We have access to God. You and I can go to God ourselves and we can say, God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you know me. I thank you that I can just come to you and we can have this conversation because of the blood. Our consciences are cleared. Maybe you have tough time in your thoughts. Maybe your mental health isn't what it should be. You know what? There's a higher testimony that you can appeal to. There's the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word over your mental health, over the way you think, over the, the, the things in your mind. 
We have sanctification through the blood. We have communion through the blood. We have covenant relationship, which means God says, you know what? I'm making a deal with you. I'll make an agreement with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You just have to believe in Jesus and His blood. That's the deal. And we go, that seems like a no-brainer, right? We have covenant relationship. We have kingship and priesthood unto God through the blood. We overcome Satan and demonic power by the blood. Do you know every time you plead the blood of Jesus, demons tremble. You know, every time something's going on in your world, you can begin to plead the blood of Jesus in that situation, in that circumstance. And you can say, you know what, Jesus, your blood speaks a higher word than this attack in my life. Your blood says greater things than what the enemy is trying to tell me right now. You might even become face to face one day with someone who's possessed. It's the blood of Jesus that casts that demon out in the mighty name of Jesus. And we have eternal life through the blood eternal life, that one day we're going to stand before God like Hebrews says, and we will face judgment. But when we have the blood of Jesus, when we have the blood of Jesus, the testimony isn't, God, this is my rap sheet. This is all the ways I stuffed up, all the things that I did wrong, all the things that that I, I, I fell short in. All that He sees is the blood of Jesus, and it's wiped clean. It's made pure. It's made clear. That's your testimony. It's my testimony if we accept the blood of Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We encourage you to tell someone about your decision and pray and read the Bible every day. We also recommend attending a church in your local area. We have many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We are so excited to see you there.